This is a teaching from Grace River Church in O'Fallon, Missouri. Our prayer is that this sermon will help inspire you to take the next step of your faith with Jesus Christ. Hey, what's up? My name is Chris Highfield, lead pastor at Grace River Church. I want to say thank you so much for watching online at home today. Today we kick off the fall, and so we're at we're post Labor Day, and uh, man, soon the temperatures are going to be dropping, leaves are going to be changing colors, uh, and football season begins. And so. Uh, I just want to encourage you to jump back into church this fall. It's a great time to realign, reset. Uh, and if I can help help you find a local church in your area, maybe you live outside of St. Charles County, I would love to help you find a church. Maybe you live right here in St. Charles County and it's been a while since you've jumped into a church. I want to invite you uh, to come hang out with us. We meet every Sunday morning, 8.30, 9.45 and 11 o'clock. Uh, a lot of awesome things are, are going on in the life of our church right now. We're growing like crazy. Uh, and we're seeing lives absolutely transformed by the good news of Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you, man, uh, if you can make it out to Grace River Church on a Sunday morning, I think it will absolutely change your life. And so uh, today we're talking about this concept of welcome home. In fact, in Luke chapter 15, there is an amazing story uh, of, a, of uh, Jesus talking and sharing th really three different stories in one. Uh, but the amazing story that we're going to talk about is a son who left home uh, and went his own way. It's known really famously as the story of the prodigal son. Uh, and But what we're going to find out in this story is that we are the prodigal. And so, uh, and what's amazing is, is that God welcomes us home. So no matter who we are, where we've been, or what we've done, man, we're always welcome in God's presence. And so maybe you needed to hear that today as you listen, uh, that, that man, you are always welcome uh, when it comes to the presence of God in your own life. And so uh, Luke 15, Jesus is talking, and so we're going to set the story up a little bit. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I love that, by the way, that Luke fits that in. He's, uh, Luke is one of the 12 disciples, and he is uh, the most educated of the 12. And he says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And now notice this, it wasn't the religious elite. And what I love here is that clearly at the very heart of God are people that are far from him. Uh, so tax collectors were people that, that weren't liked. It's not like they had some prestigious job working for the IRS. Uh, these were Jewish people working for the Roman government, robbing their own people of money. And then also uh, Luke lumps in notorious sinners. So this would have been the drug dealers and prostitutes of the day. People uh, that have really shady presence, really shady past, but yet they loved to come and listen to Jesus teach. Now in verse 2, this made the Pharisees... And the teachers of religious law complained that he was associating with such sinful people, look at this, and even eating with them. To have a meal with someone wasn't like grabbing something at Chick-fil-A or Taco Bell and eating fast food. Over 2,000 years ago, to share a meal with somebody, uh, it meant friendship, it meant collaboration, it meant that we were going to share life together. And it was sometimes an hour, two hours, or even a whole evening of a time commitment with each other. And uh, really, there, were, there was a problem with that for the religious people because they didn't like the fact that Jesus was associating with these people because they viewed it as him putting a stamp of approval on their lifestyle. But instead, what was happening was Jesus was trying to tell them stories to illustrate God's love for them, God's welcoming open arms for them. And so Jesus illustrates with three different stories, but to set up the context, there would be really two groups of people listening to this story. First of all, there's the inner ring of people. Those were uh, the tax collectors and the notorious sinners. So if you could picture it almost like, uh, like a meal, and at the, at the inside of the table, 
uh, at the closest to the heart of Jesus were these people in the inner ring that really don't, you know, seemingly feel like they don't really belong to listen to Jesus or to, to, have, to be friends with Jesus. And then you have this outer ring of people and they proverbially have their arms crossed. They don't really want to hear anything that Jesus has to say because they feel like they want to discredit Jesus for who was inside the inner circle. It was all the religious people on the outer ring uh, that were listening to this story. And really, the story was for them just as much as it was for anybody else. And so Jesus tells three parables in Luke chapter 15. The first one is a story of a lost sheep, a shepherd uh, that has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. And, you know, for me, if, if I was the shepherd over a hundred sheep and I lost one, I, I'd feel pretty good about that because I still have 99. I mean, hey, that, that's still an A plus, right? Like that's still a pretty good rating. Uh, and that's like a 4.99 on Google or whatever, right? So like, it's good. Don't, don't worry about that too much. But to illustrate in the story, Jesus says that the shepherd left the 99 and traveled to find the one. And when he found that one sheep, what he did, instead of beating the sheep up, the one that had wandered away, instead of uh, making an example out of that sheep, instead what he did is the shepherd picks the sheep up on his shoulders and lovingly carries the sheep back home. And he celebrates with his other shepherd buddies uh, that he had found his lost sheep. And, and then the, he tells the story again of uh, the, the second story that Jesus tells is of a woman who has 10 coins and one of the coins fell out of her money bag. And so she sweeps her entire house and picks up her sofa and her bed and does everything that she can to find this lost coin. And whenever she finds the coin, she throws a party. And then in verse seven, in Luke 15, verse seven, it says this, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents uh, than the 99 others who are righteous and haven't and have strayed away. And so Jesus kind of lets us know there's a party in heaven for things that are lost and then found. So now we're going to skip ahead to the third, the third story, and that's really in Luke chapter 15. That's in verse 11. And this is to illustrate uh, the, the God's outrageous love for us and the fact that he wants to welcome us home. In fact, Luke 15, we'll start in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Now, I highlight this because essentially what that son was saying was, Dad, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. Now, if that illustration hurts you to hear, understand that in the story, you and I are the younger son. Because we've all done that with God in one shape or form or another. We want the things that God has to offer us, but we really don't want God. I mean, essentially what the son was saying was, Dad, I would rather you be dead than alive. Let's skip all of this instead and go ahead and give me my inheritance today so I can go live it up. I've got, I've got big plans. Uh, this kid had a plan for freedom, and he was thinking that he could find his freedom plan away from his dad. And we all do that at some level when it comes to God. Like, we all understand that we need God, but we don't really want God. And we all understand that we want freedom, but we think that we can't get it with God. But what's super interesting is, is the most freeing your soul will ever be is when you're with your heavenly father. So, the fa so his father agreed to divide his wealth between 
his sons. And so he splits the wealth up ahead of time. He gives the younger son his inheritance. Now, a, a few days later, this younger son packed up all of his belongings and he moved to a distant land. So he packs his stuff up and moves to a modern day Las Vegas. There he wasted all of his money in wild living. So he just goes and does the craziest stuff. You know, he's, he's making really big, really bad decisions. And he goes and he wastes all of his money, all of his inheritance on wild living. Man, his freedom plan wasn't really working out. Now about that time, his money ran out. And it always runs out at some point, right? We think we have unlimited resources, unlimited time, and eventually it just runs out. A great famine, this was the wild card in the story, a great famine swept over the land and he began, he began to starve. And so this younger son, he thinks that, man, if I can get, just get out from underneath my dad and experience this freedom on my own and what he finds out is it's an absolute disaster. And it's great because we're going to find out later in the story, no spoiler alert included here, is the dad welcomes him home, which I think beautifully illustrates our Heavenly Father's love for us. Uh, look at this in verse 15. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, which doesn't sound all that bad. Like, okay, now he's hit rock bottom. There's a famine in the land. He runs out of money. And so somehow he comes across a farmer and the man sent him into his field. And I, I highlighted this to feed to feed the pigs. Uh, this would have been a, uh, a Jewish younger son that he would have been talking about. Uh, talking, by the way, the inner and the outer circle. We're not sure who was in the inner circle that day, listening to the, the heart of Jesus, listening to this story. But we know who, the, who was in the outer ring of that circle overhearing the story. Do you remember who was in the outer ring? It was Jewish religious leaders in the outer ring. Now, one thing that you got to know about Jewish people uh, especially during this time period, they avoided pigs. Pork was off their list. And so this would have been the most, one of the most upsetting parts of the entire story as they would have been listening because now, now this younger son is working for a pig farmer, working with unclean animals, animals that he shouldn't have anything to do with. Verse 16, the young man becomes so hungry that he, even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him no one gave him anything. I mean, he has ran out on his freedom plan. He, he, he actually, in verse 17, we find out uh, when, he finally come, when he finally came to himself, like when he came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. He's reminded of his father's goodness. And sometimes whenever we hit rock bottom, we realize, man, I... With God, I never had it like this. Like, with God, I always had everything I needed. And so the young son goes, you know what, man? Verse 18, I'm going to go home. Like, I'm sick of this. I'm done with this. I'm going home. To my father to say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven. He, he, he practices like a speech. Here's what I'm going to tell my dad. All right, listen, I've sinned against both heaven and you and, and I'm no longer even worthy to be called your son. That's a good line in, a, in an apology note, right? Please take me on as a hired servant. He's essentially saying, 
hey, I don't even deserve to be your son anymore. Like he's a little self-deprecating in his rehearsed speech. He writes it all out. I'm not even worthy to be your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. I'll, I'll come and I'll be your slave. I'll come and I'll just work for you. Because I know that it's better than working for this pig farmer, right? So I'm coming home to do this. And so, verse 20, so he returned home. He returned home to his father. That's key. And in this moment, as he returns home, man, you imagine like he walks into the old town, or the old neighborhood that he's from, and people begin to recognize him, Right? Oh, man, here's that kid again. He's finally back. Must have ran out of the money after he spent all of his dad's stuff. Like there had to be the, some shame, some guilt, some remorse that he would have been feeling as, as he comes home to practice his rehearsed speech on his dad. So we return home to his father, and I love this line, man. This is, this is why we're calling this sermon Welcome Home. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Dude, it's as if the dad had been watching. It's as if the father had spent every day out on the porch watching, waiting, hoping for his son to return. Look at what, the, look at what happens. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to the son, embraced him, and kissed him. I mean, unheard of. This response, I mean, culturally speaking, men during this time period would not ever run. Running was a shameful thing. And the, the dad doesn't just wait on the porch with his arms crossed saying, oh, you know, I, I knew you'd come home, go away again, whatever. No, instead, the father is overcome with emotion. And instead of running him off, Instead of throwing rocks at him, instead of asking where he's been or what he's done, no. The father simply welcomes the son home and he meets him right where he's at. This is an amazing illustration of what God does for us. Is that God meets me and God meets you right in the middle of our mess. Let's look at what the response is to the rehearsed speech. Verse 21. Verse 21 says this, And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Like, he, he does the rehearsed line. He says, okay, I, I've, I've blown it. I've made a mistake. Like, this is, just make me like one of your hired, hired hands, one of your hired servants. And then in verse 22, But his father said to his servants this, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf. Man, we, we must celebrate with a feast. He's saying, all right, call the DJ. Get the caterer. We're going to have filet mignon tonight. Get, get a ring on his finger. Get new sandals on his feet. Give him a new robe. And, and why? All of this because of verse 24. For this son of mine was dead. Dead. And now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Man, here are three quick things about returning back to God. Three quick things that we can all think about when it comes to us returning back to God. First of all this, our plans for freedom will always run out. Like no matter what you're doing with your life, no matter what you're escaping to, that you think 
man, if I did this, this would create freedom for me. If I did this, this would complete me. If I did this, it would make me whole. Here's what I know. And here's what I know that you know. You know this, that your freedom plan away from God is always going to run out of gas. You're either going to run out of money. You're going to run out of time. You're going to run out of relationship. Like there's going to be something that's going to happen where your freedom plan will run out. And in that moment, you're going to realize, man, my father's goodness is all I need. Like the young son in the middle of that pigsty, looking at what the pigs are eating, thinking, man, that looks desirable, realizes, man, my, my dad's hired hands had it way better than this. They're bringing home doggy bags compared to what, what I'm having to deal with here. And maybe today as you listen to this, you just need to be reminded of God's goodness and the fact that your freedom plan, it's going to run out. The second thing is God wants your heart, not your words. I think when it comes to returning home back to God, like no matter if you've been a Christian for like the last 15 or 20 years or if your faith is brand new to you, I think what's really important is God is not interested in the words that you have to say to him, but the heart that you come to him with. And here's what I mean by this. Do you remember the practice speech? I mean, that kid, he rehearsed the speech. He wrote it down. He had to be talking to himself about the speech as he approaches the house. And what is the dad's response? The dad doesn't even acknowledge the note. He doesn't even acknowledge the speech. Instead, he says, no, no, you're my son. What was lost is found. You were dead and brought back to life. Here, here's the big point. God is not interested in the words that you have to say. He's interested in what's going on inside of your heart. Man, are you broken enough to come to God and say, God, you have all of me. I don't deserve you, but I get you anyways. Like, have you ever been in a spot of brokenness like the son where he realizes, man, all I need is my dad? Have you ever gotten to the place where you realize all I need is my heavenly father? Like, I don't need the pay raise. I don't need the new house. I don't need a new car. I don't need new friends. I don't need a new relationship. What I need is God. And when you get to that place and you, essentially what this kid did is he repented. Because repentance is you turn from one way of living to God's way of living. Like there was a about face on, oh my gosh, I've got to get home back to my dad. And I wonder today, even as you're listening, I wonder if you're like, man, I got to get, get home back to my heavenly father. And the third thing is the father's waiting for you. I mean, the, the, the beautiful thing about returning home is you have a heavenly father that's sitting on the porch just waiting. And what's amazing is the invitation is always open. And he's been waiting on some of you for not just a few days, but for some of you, it's been years. For some, it's your entire life. Like you still haven't returned to him. And Really, today, there's one next step that I want everybody to consider, and that's this, is would you just decide, I'm going to return home? Like, this talk, the prodigal son, is not a story that's for somebody else. You don't think right now, oh man, I'm going to share this link with a friend of mine. I'm going to share this link with, uh, with somebody that I know could really use this talk. Listen to me, you, you need this talk. This is absolutely for you. And you can share it later, that's fine. But what, what I need you to understand today is that we all have a call to return home. And so will you do that? Instead of settling for pig slop, 
would you realize that your freedom plan is not going to bring you freedom at all? And instead, will you say, okay, I'm, I'm going to return home to my father. I'm going to ask you this. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment and consider where you're at on the journey and the amazing gift about the distance between you and God. Although it may feel like you're a million miles apart because you've taken what feels like a million miles away from God, do you realize this? It's one step. One step in your own heart to say, I'm done living my life like this. Instead, I'm ready to live for God. And if that's the place that you've gotten to today, I, I want to pray for you that you would receive Christ, that you would accept that he's the Lord of your life and that you would return home back to God, that you would see that you have a heavenly father that is crazy about you. So you can pray a prayer like that, like this, if that's the case. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. And God, I've done my own thing and I've, just like the, Prodigal son, God, I've done my own thing for far too long. And there was a day in my life, God, where I wanted your stuff, but I didn't want you. And God, ultimately, my freedom plan resulted in sin. But God, I believe that you sent your only son to wipe out all those mistakes that I've made. All the hurt, all the shame, all the pain, all the regret, God, I believe that your only son died to pay the debt that I couldn't pay myself. And so, God, today I confess you and only you to be my Savior. You and only you to be my true way to freedom. God, thank you for loving me and for saving me and for changing me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We would love to see you at one of our in-person services that meet on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11 a.m. If you feel so inclined to give, you can do so at www.graceriver.cc. Have a great week.